Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of COS Live. I'm Rita Peters. I'm the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs with Convention of States Action. And I'm excited to welcome you to another program tonight. Recently, Convention of States Foundation announced that it's hosting a simulated Article 5 convention later this summer with commissioners from all 50 states doing what's basically a test run of the Article 5 process. Today, we'll get to speak with one of those statesmen who will serve as a commissioner, the Honorable Woody Jenkins of Louisiana, is one of those unsung heroes who has done so much for his nation. And he has a history with our co-founder, Michael Ferris, that goes back to long before COS was even started. So you are not going to want to miss that story. Stay tuned in just a few minutes for the newest edition of COS Now to get up to date with all things Convention of States news. Stick around until the end for our newest feature, COS Live Mailbag. And if you want to get featured during that segment, drop a comment or a question below. We always love to know who's watching, where you're from, and why you're excited about Convention of States. So drop us a comment or a note anyway, because we love it. And before we go any further, we're going to take a quick pause and go to Mike Ruthenberg for our Article 5 Trivia Giveaway. Mike? Thank you, Rita. Boy, I can tell it's going to be an amazing broadcast today. Rita, you are absolutely in your element. You're going to be talking about things that you know so incredibly well. and it's going to be super fun. Producer G also delivered today. I've got to give him all the due credit because this trivia question is really cool. You're going to want to stick around to the end when I explain not only the answer, but the reason behind this, because it is absolutely fascinating. And to kind of lure you to do so, I'm going to give away the number one product at shopconventionofstates.com. At the COS store, the number one product, the pocket guide. Everybody loves pocket guides because it explains pretty much top to bottom what we're doing, why we're doing it, and why we can actually save the nation. It's such a great, great product and people buy it like crazy. I always have pocket guides with me. When I have somebody that's actually interested in Convention of States, that's when I'll part with a pocket guide and share it with them. Of course, it has a petition at the end so people can sign on after they realize there is no better solution. All right, well, let me jump into our question because I'm super excited about it. And this question is, which president said, which of course U.S. president said, the convention mode for proposing amendments seems preferable in that it allows the amendments to originate with the people themselves? There's my question, it's worth repeating. Which president said the convention mode for proposing amendments seems preferable in that it allows the amendments to originate with the people themselves. Who said that? I'll be back later. In the meantime, get on the edge of your seat because it's gonna be a good one. Back to you, Rita. Thanks, Mike. Now, before we get to our interview, let's see some history being made. It's our latest edition of COS Now. 
As this trust in the DC swamp grows, Mark Meckler says there might be only one legal way to avoid civil war. Here's a new clip from a fascinating, wide-ranging interview with Brett Craig. Uh, I look at it, it's like the Liberty Bell. There's a big crack in it, still beautiful, still mm -hmm. represents liberty, but there's this crack and that relieves the pressure. They're looking at me, guys like us, and they're saying, older, white, male, misogynist, right. Nazi, homophobe, patriarchal, and they look at us and they're like, I'm not sure I could live in a country with that guy anymore. Yeah. And, I, and I think a lot of this comes from this idea that we're supposed to be a monoculture, and it affects our government also because we say, oh, well, by the 1970s, big government is king. Everything from D.C., uh, it's the economies mm -hmm. of scale. Yep. I think all that stuff's cracking. And I think we go back to federalism is how we fix all that. It's so interesting you just said it just hit me. The Liberty Bell with the crack in it. You can watch part one of that in-depth interview on YouTube, The Big Picture with Brett Craig. Meanwhile, the CUS Montana team scored some local TV coverage themselves as they make progress toward becoming one of the next states to pass the Convention of States Action Resolution. A group of charged up citizens in Dutton are calling on amendments to be made to the U.S. Constitution. MTN's Owen Sikornik Hayes spoke with the House District Captain to uncover the progress that's being made at a regional and national level. Chippewa says the event drew out several supporters who are eager for change. It's just ordinary citizens from all walks of life that have decided that they're tired of the government and what's been going on. We're not trying to take down the president. We're not a militia. We just want citizens to have some control of their government because it's got out of control. Last week, WMAL radio host Chris Plant announced his support for COS. I'm entirely in favor of the Convention of States. And there's a petition you can find online, a petition where you can sign on to the, uh, the movement. It is, again, to check the power of the federal government, which clearly is off the rails. Constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis appeared on this month's edition of COS at Home. I've looked at and, and actually championed the legislation in various states uh, personally. I've just been really impressed that this is the mechanism that the founders provided when Congress is unwilling to do their job in actually uh, having amendments that are promulgated through their legislative process that the states and the state legislatures can do it and should do it. Summer is the perfect time of year to build the self-governing grassroots army. Activists from Massachusetts and New Jersey to Arizona, Kansas, and Colorado are all employing a myriad of strategies including block walking, town halls, breakfast meetings, fairs, parades, gun shows, and much more. You can participate in these efforts by signing up at conventionofstates.com. This week, Convention of States Foundation announced that the public can now RSVP for the live stream of the upcoming simulated Article 5 convention. The broadcast will begin the morning of August 4th. In addition, watch parties are being organized across the United States so that citizens can meet together and discuss the historic proceedings as they unfold in real time. For more information, go to conventionofstates.com forward slash sim. And finally, an important message from Congressman Ira press rights courtesy of the COS Maryland team. Now as a political leader, I prefer to be nonpartisan, which means I keep my true opinions to myself until it's time to vote. But I have put great effort into having my aides put great effort into reading a lot of news. And I discovered that my staff discovered that the media discovered it's even worse than I thought. First off, 19 states have already passed this thing. 19. That's more than half the country. These people have the potential to do away with the entire federal bureaucracy. You can't have a government without a bureaucracy. That's just undemocratic. 
We're talking no more FBI, CIA, EPA, IRS, uh, ATF, CDC, EPA, DOH, NSA, HHS. We need to get rid of COS, ASAP. Just because the Farm Credit Administration was started to end the Great Depression doesn't mean it should go away. I mean, we're dumping billions of dollars into these departments with little to no oversight. So obviously they're trustworthy. This movement is getting steam because people claim that Washington is out of control. <laughs> what are you talking about? We've never been more in control. We control almost everything. We regulate business, schools, money, energy, medicine, technology, law enforcement, uh, communication, food, water, transportation, insurance, guns, drugs, alcohol, the environment. And we'll even get a handle on all this wildfire smoke if Congress approves my Department of Hot Air. Here's hoping. And now, you're up to date with Convention of States. And producer G has given us another great montage of videos. Couple of comments on that before we move on. First, I love the little snippet of the interview that Mark did and how he's describing the fact that federalism is the answer to the divisiveness in our society and the divisiveness in our government. This would not be a surprise to the founding fathers. They, if you read the Federalist Papers, they talk a lot about factions, which basically is referring to the divisions of people and ideas in our society. And our Constitution had a ready answer for that. And it gave us a federal system. So I love to hear Mark talk about that, and I am going to look forward to future segments of that interview. Also love what producer G had to say about summer now being the perfect time to build and grow the grassroots army. That's what we need to move forward. There's no political problem that's not solved by more grassroots being more active. So Make sure you're signed up with your state team. Go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, and then click on the Take Action tab. Make sure that you are connected with your state team and you can get involved with all the things they're doing throughout the summer to grow that grassroots army in your state. And then finally, how exciting is it to know that all of you out there will get to watch a live stream of the simulated Article 5 convention in August. I had the privilege of being at the first simulated convention several years ago. And let me tell you, you will not want to miss the footage of this event. So make sure you sign up today and make plans to watch the live stream. Host a party for your friends and your neighbors or your fellow COS activists because it will be an amazing moment in history and you're going to want to see it. And with that, I think it's time for our interview. So now it is my honor to welcome to this program the Honorable Woody Jenkins, a former state legislator in Louisiana who actually helped author the current version of the Louisiana Constitution. That is amazing. I don't think we've ever had anyone on the program before who can claim that distinction. He was in the Louisiana legislature for 28 years. Representative Jenkins, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you, Rita. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I was actually elected at age 23 in 1972 wow. to the House of Representatives. And that year, the governor called a constitutional convention and the legislature approved it. I voted against calling a convention. I was, I think, one of only two because it was a very liberal governor and I thought the bill, the Constitution would come out to be something I just couldn't support. But uh, there were 132 delegates, one elected from each house district, that's 105, and 27 appointed by the governor, and I didn't care for that at all. But they assigned us to committees, and I was assigned to the Bill of Rights and Elections Commission Committee. It was a 10-member committee, uh, and it was uh, had five liberals, four conservatives, and me, and I was sort of on the libertarian to conservative side politically. And we the, the convention went on for over a year, and the Bill of Rights Committee came to a stalemate uh, after months. And um, if I voted with the liberals, the liberal provision would prevail, but if I voted with the conservatives, it would be tied. So after a lot of wrangling and back and forth, one night, one of the trial lawyers who was a, a member of the committee said, Jenkins, you think you know everything. You certainly do know how we all believe on everything. Why don't you take this Bill of Rights and come up with a draft? Maybe we could support it. And he was half jesting, but I said, yes. So three days later, I came back with a draft trying to not only represent my views, but what I knew were the priorities of the other members of the committee. And they approved it, and it became the basis for our Bill of Rights and our current Louisiana Constitution. And that is, by the way, the last Constitution that's been adopted in the 50 states. It's Constitutional revision is a very difficult, very perilous process. And because it's not just what we want to get done, but it's what other people will agree to. And then um, does it even make sense? So uh, it tempers you. I found that delegates to the Constitutional Convention who I'd served with, many of them in the legislature, they had a whole different mindset serving in the mm -hmm. Constitutional Convention because they know, number one, you're never going to get reelected. Uh, so this is yep. your chance to influence history and to do something really great. And they made much better quality decisions, I think, than they did as legislators. It was, a, yeah. it was an interesting process. We just had the 50th reunion of the survivors, and out of 132 delegates, there are only about 20 uh, still alive. Wow. Well, it is a it is a great honor for us at Convention of States Foundation to have you representing Louisiana at our simulated Article 5 convention. And I really think your experience and your history and your background is going to be a great asset to us at that event. Now, I wanna take you just for a moment to a different point in your history as a legislator. Michael Ferris, as you know, is a co-founder of Convention of States Foundation. And you have a history with Ferris that stretches back long before that to another important moment, and that was the homeschool legalization movement. Can you tell us the story of your involvement with that and yeah, how, how you made an impact in that whole area of the law? You know, things usually start very small and they, they just twist and turn and you end up with a result maybe you never intended. But... I looked at our daily newspaper in Baton Rouge. Now, remember, I'm a lifelong journalist, so I, it was really the, the newspaper in the, those days was very liberal. It's much more liberal today. And I've been in media sort of competing with newspapers and other opportunities, other uh, media outlets like that. 
So I pick up the daily newspaper and I see this story coming out of Evangeline Parish, that's Cajun country, Ville Platte at the town. And it's where uh, uh, some parents have been arrested for teaching their children at home. And the story wow. was interesting because the district attorney said, you know, I've examined what they're doing. I've examined their materials and really what they're doing is good. But reading state law, they're violating the compulsory attendance law because the state law said at that time that every person uh, had to go to school between the ages of six and 16. They had to go to a school with all certified teachers, certified by the state. There had to be at least 50 pupils and there had to be adequate physical facilities. Well, this Evangeline Christian Academy only had two students, and the teacher was a high school graduate, but she was using great materials, and she was very motivated and very Bible-oriented in their study. The story intrigued me, and I decided, knowing as I did the Education Committee, the House Education Committee that I had been on at that point for eight years, this is 1980, that this committee would never agree to legalizing home education. But I drafted a bill, and the bill basically said there would be no minimum number of pupils. You would not have to have certified teachers. The church or the school operating the so-called school would um, have whatever credentials the, the church or the school required. So I had a, a bill introduced, and I immediately got a call from a lady in New Orleans. Uh, her name was Hazel Anderson, and she was teaching her two children at home illegally. And she said, this bill has to be changed. You have to have a home study program. And I said, well, that's what I'm doing. She says, no, you're starting private schools that are exempt. We need a home study program. She said, they're going to shut us down. They're going to say we're not a school. So I redrafted it to say the State Board of Education would approve home study programs, but it would have to meet one requirement, and that is that the students have to be offered a curriculum of quality at least equal to that in the public schools. Curriculum quality was the real key. So I introduced the bill. It yeah. was much maligned. All of the left-wing uh, education forces came out of the woodwork, the Louisiana Association of Educators, the Louisiana Teachers Association, the principals, the truant officers, the school board association. I mean, scores of organizations were opposed to this. But we had 12 pastors. And the 12 pastors, they were mostly Baptist and some Pentecostal, a couple of other faith. These 12, they, would, they went wherever this bill went. They'd be in the committee or they'd be out in the hallway when the House or Senate was debating it. So it comes to the education committee that I'd served on all these years, I knew it was dead. But we had a great hearing, we presented our evidence, and I knew the vote was gonna be 14 to two against the bill. But when the roll was called, to my shock, these 12 pastors outside praying, the vote was 14 to two for the bill. I, I mean, I was just for it, I was the author, I'd made a great presentation, I thought, but I knew the politics. All the organizations were opposed to it, testified. I go up to the chairman, and I said, Jimmy Long, Representative Long, why did you vote for my bill? I know you're opposed to it. He says, well, he said these Pentecostal pastors came and lobbied me for it. I knew it didn't have a chance, so I told him I'd vote for it. I'd throw him the vote, you know. Well, the, all the committee did that. <laughs> and so we passed it out of the committee. So it goes to the House floor, and um, again, they're lobbying furiously. And I have my stack of materials. I'm going to go up to the, to the well and I'm going to explain it. And I know it's going to get murdered when the boat, because they're not going to miss this occasion. And on my way down to speak, I'm carrying all my, I'm loaded. I'm loaded for bear. And one of the representatives, Representative Art Sauer says, he says, just 
headed a lick. It says, don't say anything. And so, all right. I went down there and I said, Mr. Speaker, members, this is the uh, House Bill so and so and so and so to relative homeschooling program. I uh, move final passage. And the speaker says, is there any further discussion, any questions, any further discussions? Now, the lobbyists were in the back. They were ready. That they forgot one thing. They forgot to get somebody to get up and speak against it. They had lobbied it hard. <laughs> so anyone want to speak? Well, nobody comes up to speak. And so open machine for old call, 99 to 1. One of the people who voted against it in the committee voted for it. And they're all thinking there must have been a deal made. You know, all the problems are solved because no one's speaking against it. So it passes. These pastors are out there praying. It goes over to the Senate. They're not going to be fooled again. So they, they amend the, the Senate, amends it, and it throws me a bone. It says you don't have to be a certified, no, you do have to be a certified teacher, and you can teach your children at home, and no minimum number of pupils. So teachers who are certified could have a homeschooling program. So it comes back to the House, and I have to make a choice. If I accept those Senate amendments, I've got a little something, but not much. If I reject the Senate amendment, it goes to a conference committee. It'll be a six-member committee, three from the House, three from the Senate. And I don't know why, but in my spirit, and I was praying, I said, we're going to reject the Senate amendment. So the House rejected it, throws in the conference committees. There's about two weeks left in the session, and under the Constitution, we have to adjourn at midnight on the 60th day. Well, this bill is held up in this conference committee. The AFL-CIO, representing the American Federation of Teachers and others, they they control the three members of the Senate. I, I couldn't get six. I couldn't get four out of the six votes. So I'm working the Senate. I'm talking to them, and they're saying, "Well, Woody, we don't really have an objection to your bill, but Mr. Victor Busey, the president of the AFL-CIO, is opposed to it. So unless you can get him to be for it, it's dead." So finally, it's 10 o'clock the last night of the session. I'm lobbying, getting nowhere, and all of a sudden, those Pentecostal and Baptist preachers are out in the hallway praying. They didn't really even think that we had a chance, but they were turning it over to God. And all of a sudden, I get this message from Gordon Flory, who's the vice president of the AFL-CIO, and he was always very respectful. He was a tough labor man, but always very respectful. And he calls and he says, Mr. Mr. Representative Jenkins, he says, now, remember, I'm about 32 years old. I'm young. So, Representative Jenkins, I don't know if you can get the signatures in time, get the House to vote, and get the Senate to vote, and get it up to the governor between now, it's 10 o'clock, and midnight. But he said, the three conferees from the Senate will sign your, your proposed bill. If you can make all those things happen, good luck. And I said, yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Foley. So I ran, got the signatures. Ran to the president of the Senate. They voted. I literally took the bill, which you're not allowed to do. I took the bill physically to the Speaker of the House. We voted and accepted, and before midnight, we had it on the desk of the governor, and Governor Dave Treen signed it, and those pastors had been praying. And so never think that, the, that God doesn't come to the state capitol. He's there all the time. So we became the first state to legalize homeschooling, and people say, congratulations, Representative Jenkins. Look. It was a God thing. It wasn't me. It was a God thing. And it told me, if you get the pastors involved, you know, in your state, they, yeah. can, they can do anything. But pastors are what so What an amazing today. story. Yeah, what an amazing story. I want to say thank you. I, I 
can see clearly that was a God thing, but thank you for your leadership. You know, at Convention of State. We have 30,000 students a year in homeschooling in our state. We've had over 250,000 go through homeschooling and graduate in the last um, 43 years. That's incredible. You know, at Convention of States, we talk a lot about our job being to be faithful and to obey and the results are up to God. They're in his hands. And if that story isn't an example of that, I don't know what is. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I want to fast forward to today because our grassroots army is all excited about, as am I, frankly, about our simulated Article 5 convention coming up in August. I want to know, with your history and your background, what was your reaction when you found out that we were hosting this Article 5 simulated convention? And what are you looking forward to the most in terms of your attendance and participation? Well, years ago, I had authored uh, a resolution that did pass the calling for a convention uh, for a balanced budget. And we had quite a few states mm -hmm. that did do that. And so I was very open myself. Now, when Convention of States came along, I really had a lot of reservations. I just wasn't sure, you know, can, can this process be trusted? Frankly, things are so far gone in this country today. I think we need to take some chances. And I, I think there are plenty of controls when you look at the, you know, the, the, the two-thirds and, and the, I guess, three-fourths requirement, that, yep. that's a pretty good safeguard. And um, we would have to have both some red states and blue states, a lot of them, approve whatever we do. So I think there are safeguards, and plus we have to have some faith here that the American people will want good changes. So I've been thinking, as I know everybody uh, who's part of the process has been thinking, well, what could we come out with that might be something that if and when there is a convention of the states, which I pray there would be, that they could look at and say, this is something we ought to really consider. And I had a conversation okay. with uh, Mike Ferris about this, and he actually, when I told him what I had in mind, he said, well, that's what I've been thinking about. And I said, no, it's my idea. <laughs> so we were kind of arguing. <laughs> but in looking at all the different things, I'm interested in the legislative and executive committee. I've asked to be on that. But I looked at our state constitution, and like most state constitutions, I'm going to tell you something in it that I think could be a model for the U.S. Constitution. Now, bear in mind, my feeling is that the founders who wrote the Constitution were divinely inspired. I really believe that. And the, the people who, who wrote the Bill of Rights and people like James Madison particularly, I think they were divinely inspired. Now, we've had almost 200 years, over 200 years to think about it now. And to see what works and doesn't work. I mean, we can see some flaws that need to be corrected. One thing that maybe we could get a lot of people from different perspectives to agree to is looking at how a bill becomes a law. I think one of the most egregious things in the process in Washington today is the fact that any bill can be a vehicle for anything. You can pack in any bill, the whole world. I mean, the bill is introduced to do A and it ends up uh, doing A to Z or minus A to Z or whatever. There's no limit to what one bill can be done. And so you see things like these these big bills that, that uh, you know, 3,000 pages, nobody's read it, and then people have to vote for it, and they're excused, well, I had, to, uh, I had to vote for it. There's nobody that could read it. And it just, it's such a cop-out. And if you look at, um, like, Article 3, Section 15 of the Louisiana Constitution, it's like, 
many other constitutions. Here's what it says, passage of bills. First thing, every bill has to have a single object. So there's only one purpose for a bill. You can't pack anything into it. It says this, the legislature shall enact no law except by bill introduced during that, that session and which shall be processed as a bill, every bill except the general appropriations bill, bills for the enactment, rearrangement, codification, or revision of a system of laws shall be confined to one object. Every bill shall contain a brief description uh, indicative of its object. Action on any manner intended to have the effect of law shall be taken only in open public session. And then it says like section B, a bill enacting, amending, or revising a law shall set forth completely the provisions of the law enacted, amended, or revived. No system or code of law shall be adopted by general reference to it. So you have to put in the bill what it's going to do. And then germaneness, subsection C, no bill shall be amended in either house to make a change not germane to the bill as introduced. So you have the title of the bill. You, everything in the bill has to be within that title, and there has to be one object, and you can't offer any amendment that, that expands from that that's not germane. So it, it might be, let's say, to revise uh, the laws relative to uh, uh, bankruptcy. Of course, that's a federal matter, but no, let's suppose it were bankruptcy. Your bill can have anything about bankruptcy, but it can't have about torts, and it can't have about criminal law and all those sorts of things. Then uh, three readings, each bill should be read by title on three separate days. So in our state, that means that uh, it takes five days to pass a bill. You can't do it all at one time. You, day one in one house, day two, and then day three in that house can be day one in the other house. So that's why it can be five days. And it requires a recorded vote. A majority of those of the membership has to vote. So it's in our case, if it's 105 members of the house, it has to be 53 in the house to pass it. If there's... Uh, 435 congressmen, it would take a majority to pass the bill, not a minority of those, you know, in the body. So anyway, I think something like that, one object, germane amendments, that would go a long way. And that's something that I think could have broad appeal. Uh, I mean, I'm a staunch conservative. I know a lot of our, our members will be, some will not be. But we can't amend the Constitution only with conservatives. It's going to take people from a lot of different perspectives who can see the need, this might be one. Um, That's so right. I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Would you just briefly tell our audience how, as a practical matter, something like that would help fix the, the mess that we have in Congress today? How would it help? Well, it's just that you want to confine voting to a, a particular object so that we can hold yeah. people accountable for their vote. If you voted for gun control, we don't want gun control to be in a social security bill or in a, in a bill on a maritime law or something like that. You want to have uh, clear votes so that we can hold people accountable and so that the people making decisions really know what they're doing. What you yeah. want not to have are these Hobson's choices where this bill, that boy's got some really good things and it's got some really bad things, but we have to swallow the whole thing. That's how bad law is made. So you yes. want to have on, on one object and let's vote on that particular thing, find agreement, and then go to the next thing, find agreement on that. And, and we negotiate, trying never to violate our, our core principles. But we can't compromise if it doesn't violate core principles. Yep. The more we can find things to one object, I think that's the easier it becomes. Absolutely. It 
kind of seems like common sense <laughs> to me and to many of us. So I'm glad to hear that. And I, I hope you propose something like that at our simulation. <laughs> That's great. Now, I, I, we're about out of time, but I want to close with this. At Convention of States, we often hear people say that there are no more heroes in America. There, we don't have any more George Washingtons or Thomas Jeffersons or James Madisons today. But we agree with Ronald Reagan, who said that those who say there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. Now, we don't hear about them in the media, but there are great statesmen, many of them who serve in their state legislatures. I think that you, sir, are one of them, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on that, but I do want to ask for your perspective. When you look at the state legislatures or based on your own service in the state legislature, do you believe there's still statesmen in America today? Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And I had a, the great opportunity and privilege to serve with over 400 people who served in the House of Representatives during the 28 years that I was there. I tried to always be friends with them. There's not one of them, if they're walking down the street on the sidewalk toward me, that I would cross the road to avoid them. You know, I, I, I felt like it's very important to have a, a relationship. And if you're a Christian, you certainly want to try. I know we can't always be friends with people, but to try to be friends on a personal level. And then that kind of takes the edge off things when we can disagree. When we can sit down and say, hey, look, I know you believe this, I believe that. Is there some way we can work it out? Let's see if we can. So they're heroes not only in politics, they're heroes all around us. They're in our midst and they emerge. And we need to tell their stories more. They're great men and women. Yeah. And, and that's what America is. America's made up of heroes. They're what keep us going. It's not the average yeah. and the ordinary. It's those people who really make a difference. I'll tell you, in Central, for example, where we own the newspaper, there was one gentleman who's driving down the road. He happened to be white. It's a dark night. It's rainy. He sees this car veer off the road. The lights disappear, and he didn't know why they disappeared. And he realized they went in a pond. They were underwater. He stops his car in this dark and rain, and he, he goes out there, and one by one, he represents the mom and the dad, and he rescues the mom and the dad and the three children. They happen mm. to be black. Mm. He risked his life, and they all got out. They left. He never saw them again. He really never mm. got a thank you. We see people like that mm. make a difference. They change the world. Yeah. So they're all yeah. around us. Yeah. So we have to be a hero. Absolutely. But look at our founders, because yes. they'll give us some good examples, like President Washington. Absolutely. Read his farewell ad address. It'll address a lot of things happening today. You'll see. I want to remind our guests, our audience members who are getting excited about the simulated Article 5 convention, that you'll get a chance to live stream it on August 4th. You may see Representative Jenkins in action on the live stream. So register today at cossimulation2023.org. Representative Jenkins, thank you so much for spending so much of your time with us on the program, and I can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you, Ms. Peters. I look forward to meeting you. 
And with that, we'll go to the answer for our Article 5 trivia question today. Thank you, Rita. It is great to be back, and I hope you're anticipating the question. I hope the answer, at least the original answer, is in there. In the meantime, this is what has been up for grabs. The Pocket Guides is a set of 10. That's our most popular product in the store. If you didn't win, just go to shopconventionstates.com and you can get Pocket Guide. You can also see our whole new summer lineup of apparel and goodies that we have. We have some special stuff in there as well. So go to shopconventionstates.com and see what's there. You'll be really pleased. Now let me get back to our question, our trivia question of the day, which I think is so poignant. And you may recall the question, which president said the convention mode for proposing amendments seems preferable in that it allows for amendments to originate with the people themselves. Which president said that? The answer, Abraham Lincoln. Well, think about that. Lincoln stated his support for Article 5 in his first inaugural address. What did Lincoln mean when he said the convention made mode seems preferable? Well, he was referring to the second clause of Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution, which many of you are familiar with, which empowers the American people to call an amendatory convention to keep the federal government in check. In a last-ditch effort to avoid civil war, well, you've been hearing that go on in a number of places, Abraham Lincoln endorsed calling an Article V convention, knowing it very well might be America's last best hope at reuniting under the Federalist system of governance. Regrettably, America in 1861 did not heed his advice. We often say that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. One, how prescient this is right now at our time in history, 162 years later. We would be wise to do what America failed to do in 1861 and call an Article 5 convention. We have no doubt grown very weary of our existing, corrupt, unconstitutional government. Just like Lincoln said. Imagine that 160 years ago. We have the constitutional right and duty to amend it. And if you wonder what it looks like, I've got it right back over here. That is our current constitution. That's how it's been interpreted by the Supreme Court and twisted and moved and molded in ways that our founding fathers never envisioned. Many of them, if you think about that, or if they're thinking about that, they'd be rolling over in their grave. Anyway, there's our question for today. I hope you were the one that won our cool pocket guides. Again, if you didn't win, just go to shopconventionestates.com and pick some up. What a great tool for sharing convention states. Now I'll turn it back to you, Rita. Thanks, Mike. And now it's time for our newest segment of the program. It's the COS Live Mailbag. These are messages and questions from viewers like you. And if you want to be featured, drop us a comment on YouTube, Facebook, or Rumble. So let's go to the mailbag. Our first comment or question is from Not Fake News of PA 386. 
<laughs> Not Fake News wants to know, when will the 20th state sign on? That's the question in everyone's mind. We're all eager to learn the answer to that. And I'm still counting on North Carolina. As you may know, North Carolina House has already passed our Article 5 application earlier in this year. It is pending before the North Carolina Senate right now, and we're just on the edges of our seats waiting for them to take action. They have probably another month left in their session, so just stay tuned. You could be hearing positive news out of North Carolina any day now. Our next comment comes from Philip Brown. Philip says, the politicians are just as scared of the Convention of States as they are of Trump, because that could take away all their money and power. And yeah, I, I do think the establishment politicians, the career politicians um, are afraid of what could happen when we get to 34 states and get our convention to propose amendments, because those amendments are going to be all about limiting the time, scope, money, and power of the federal government. And I do believe, I know that that has a lot in the establishment very nervous, as it should, because an Article 5 convention is the founder solution to a runaway federal government. It's a safe process and it is an effective process and I'm looking forward to that day when it actually happens. Hopefully not too far away. Stay tuned. And with that, everyone, we're going to sign off for the week. Note there will be no COS Live next week due to it being Independence Day. We hope that you have a wonderful day celebrating America with family and friends. And we'll be back with you on Tuesday, July 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now we've got a country to save, so let's get to work. Thanks for joining us. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.